0: and gentlemen welcome to the walk show podcast where we explore the walk of life this is your host Walker near as always the music for today's show is provided by Misha zarin so thank you so much Misha this week we are joined by a very special guest joining us all the way from Shanghai China coach Colin Thompson started in Toronto moved to the. US when he was a child and eventually moved to China when he was in his 30s. Coach Colin is currently a life coach working to motivate and inspire people to change their lives for the better Colin also happens to be black which given the variety of places and countries he has lived in, gives him a truly unique perspective on race in America. With all the protests going on in the country, conversations about race and racism are incredibly important right now. In our conversation, Colin shares his insights and to his thoughts on the civil rights movement and how it compares to what's going on now, as well as how things in America compare to how things go in China. Make sure and stick around toward the end of our conversation as Colin talks about some really great opportunities for people to get coaching. Colin has teamed up with dozens of coaches from around the world to offer free coaching sessions. These aren't free in air quotes where they're really just trying to get you to sit down for a sales pitch. Instead, Colin and his colleagues are offering genuine coaching sessions to people free of charge. I've openly talked about my own experiences with coaching and strongly recommend it to any and everybody. I can't be more grateful to Colin for his time and willingness to make the time zone difference work, joining us all the way from China. I also just really love the conversation that we had, and I think you will, too. So without further ado, let's get on to the conversation with Colin. Welcome to the Walk Show podcast. Coach Colin Thompson, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, Walker. It is great to be here. I always like I get introduced by Coach Colin Thompson. Sounds good. <laughs> it does. Um, so, uh, so Colin, you and I were actually introduced through a mutual friend of ours, Carolyn Owens. Um, I was actually just recently on her show, on a, a live stream that she did. Have you been a guest on her show as well? Yes, yeah, about two weeks ago. Cool. Well, I do just want to give a, a quick shout out um to to carolyn owens she does a a lot of great work as a coach herself and has a a really interesting show Uh, carolynowens360.com is where you can find that but just wanted to give a quick shout out to carolyn because she's uh the the person that kind of orchestrated this meeting um yeah and
1: go ahead yeah it's interesting because she's one of the she's the kind of person that said you know what i'm going to have you on my podcast i'm going to let you share your story i'm going to ask you questions that help the help people understand who you are and I'm going to reach out to my friends and network to see how they can help you as well. So, you know, when you have people like that, as you just did, you want to give them
0: shout-outs and, and I, I say thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, Carolyn's great. Um so so Colin, you are uh, you have a <laughs> a pretty interesting story and one that I'll be perfectly honest, we could start almost anywhere. Um you're originally from Canada, is that correct? Toronto, Canada. Okay. And then um, moved the United States for a while.
1: Yeah, well, I moved from Toronto, Canada, to Louisville, Kentucky, and if you can imagine, that was quite that was quite a um, how to put it that was quite some people people say a mindfuck, but that was, that was quite a, a transition, especially being an eight year old boy. Um, and there were it's, it's funny because well it's funny now because there there was some challenges because my parents are Jamaican, my family Jamaican. So, I didn't have a Jamaican accent, but I had a Canadian accent. And then you moved to Louisville, Kentucky, which is more of a country twangish, more of a mm-hmm. mid Midwestern, not southern, but Midwestern accent. So, the moment I got to Kentucky, they put me in speech class because, mm. because I was, you know, uh, had more of a northern, you know, North Dakota, Toronto, Canadian accent. Um, I did have a lisp and a stutter, and they said, you know what, you sound kind of strange. So, Yeah. So my first uh, introduction to the U.S. was on on an inter- interesting side, was being put into a to a certain class, and also the first time being told we couldn't go to certain neighborhoods, right? Oh, uh, yeah. So so that whole transition to the U.S. is very much like how people view. You know, life in the U.S. now, right? There are balance is definitely slides. So that was an interesting transition.
0: Well, and I, and I don't. So, if you don't mind, what about what time frame was this that you moved to the U.S.? Nineteen
1: eighty. Okay. 18, okay. Nineteen eighty. So I was almost almost eight years old when I moved
0: to the U.S. Huh. Um, and so, so then you lived in the United States for a, a period of time. Yes, I was in the U.S. from eight
1: years old to about thirty four. So. Okay. Do the math there for for a long time, long time. And let me let me say, I love the United States. You know, my, sure. my family's there. I grew up there. Um, I am not a citizen. I'm a Canadian citizen. I'm a I am a. Uh, it's interesting. I'm an immigrant to the U.S. Literally, my parents. Are, you know? Right. So a lot of the, a lot of the rhetoric in the U.S. about um, not building walls, but a lot of rhetoric about keeping America for Americans is it, is sort of missed on me. Even though all my nieces and nephews and. Siblings are, are are citizens, so it's, it's interesting there. Hmm. But I left in I left uh, the US in 2008 and have been here okay. in China ever since.
0: Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. So then you you eventually moved to, to China, and where at in China are you? I'm, are you now I'm
1: in Shanghai? I was in Shenzhen before, and Shenzhen is the southernmost part of China, which is the manufacturing hub. That's where Foxconn is located. That's where all of the electronics. Are uh, coming from out of Shenzhen, and now I'm in Shanghai, which is, I guess, one of the most international, diverse cities in the world.
0: Yeah, I actually had a friend of mine uh, come on the show a couple of months ago now, probably, to talk about um, her experiences right. living in Shanghai, kind of as the pandemic broke out. And yeah, I, had, I I wasn't aware that it was as big as it is. And I think she said like 25 million people or something. I mean, it's like, yeah. it's crazy. Well, <laughs> I would say
1: 25 million people, um, it really swells to about 30 million. There are wow. a lot of people. There are a lot of people. First of all, there are a lot of people in every Chinese city. <laughs> let, me, let me first say that. But there are a lot right. of people here. And you get used to it. Uh, when you go back to the U.S. to visit and think of it so spread out and people are more, um, it's, more it's not as dense. Uh, you, really rec- you really enjoy the, the, the fact you're not bumping into people as you walk down the street. But as busy as Shanghai is, i got to tell you, Hong Kong is crazy because Hong Kong is only about 8 million, 10 million people but it's so small that you're literally on top of each other. So Shanghai, at least we have a little more space here, but it's a great, it's a great time.
0: Well, I'm, I'm originally and still from uh, Springfield, Missouri, Mm -hmm. which is a town of about 180,000. So (laughs) five or 10 million doesn't sound, doesn't (laughs) sound small to me, Uh, (laughs) but I get your point. Uh (laughs) I heard
1: that podcast with your friend, a very good, very good interview. She has some, some great stories, great stories to
0: share. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. She was, she was a terrific guest and very generous with her time. Um, So over in, in China, then you have built a, a coaching business. Is that correct? Yeah, actually two businesses, um, a coaching business and a blockchain
1: business. And it's, it's, it's an interesting story, how the coaching business was started. Um, Should I take you through that journey, that story? Yes, please. Yes. So I have to go way back to, to, when I going back to the story, when I first moved to the U.S., because being put into that that speech class, I mean, literally, they put me into a a, LD, a learning disability class because of where mm-hmm. I talked and um, spelling. I didn't spell the right way. I put OUs where I shouldn't be putting OUs, things like that. Mm-hmm. And Back then, there wasn't a lot of understanding for uh, Jamaican Canadian families in that in that education structure. If you didn't, you know, fit that 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 sh- sort of square square peg. You're going to be in a special class. So what's interesting, though, is a year later, they told me that I tested out. I tested into advanced class. So I don't know how accurate that was, you know. <laughs> um, so yeah, So anyway, so but me being put in, in that speech class, what happens is every day you have to leave class. When they go, go into English part, you have to leave class, go into a special little class around the corner, you know, um, the, the dunce hat. So I'm embarrassed on a daily basis having to leave my, my new classmates. Wow. That special class, and and that drove me. You know, I really started looking at people who could, because you know, what happens to you? No matter what you think that your speaking sucks, right? You think that you mm-hmm. believe it. You say, okay, you know what? I do have a problem, and that starts becoming more weight on your shoulders. Now, mm-hmm. from that point on, I always looked at people who could speak clearly, speak loudly, who could go into the front of an audience and talk, and people would be people would react. At the time. Only place I saw that really was in church. If a pastor talking clearly and getting everybody riled up, it was wonderful. So for years and years, I really sought to, on how to not just improve my speech, but but become a public speaker, and and, um, and really to avoid the embarrassment or, or get over the fact that I had that list, I had that stuttering, and it took me. I still have my list, and I still do stutter, but I learned to embrace those things. And I remember. You know, my father, very proud, old-fashioned Jamaican guy, we went to a lot of family weddings, and every time we'd go to a family wedding, he would stand up, when it came speech time, he said up and say, on behalf of the Thompson family, we want to thank you for yada, yada, yada. And I was always like, wow, look at my father, standing up with the microphone, with a hundred people, and just talking loud. My father was a very loud, calm talker. So I always had that desire in me to now not just speak clearly and publicly, but to inspire people, to get people to, 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 to take action. Mm-hmm. So so that's when I really started to uh, start thinking about motivating people. And luckily, I was a I was a pretty, fairly good uh, high school athlete, uh, the captain of my, my wrestling team, the captain of my football team, and the coach would mm. tell us, get in there and get your team ready, get your team ready. And that meant talking to some guys. In football, you have, you have a lot of us, so other folks can get folks ready. But in wrestling, in wrestling, there's not a lot of us, and you have to right. really go down the line and get people motivated, especially people who don't have that, freshmen, soft, sophomores who don't have that confidence yet, how do you get them motivated and to believe in themselves, especially when they've lost 10 times in a row, so mm-hmm. learning how to motivate people really became my thing and as I went to university in Washington, in Washington D.C., at Howard University. Um, at Howard, it's academic school, and let me say... I only got into Howard because of sports. I got a wrestling scholarship. I would not have qualified, not have qualified if not for that. So shout out to Howard <laughs> University, and shout out to my wrestling coach. Because my wrestling coach, Paul Cotton, he always said, you're here for an education, OK? Mm-hmm. We're paying you to wrestle, but the first priority is to graduate. And he always hammered that home with us. So with that, um, at Howard, the nature of Howard is it's academic school, so you're forced to lead, have leadership roles. So there at Howard I really got into my motivating motivating people and learning how to speak in public um, and luckily not luckily but I was actually the commencement speaker in my senior senior class um, graduation oh, wow. yeah so going from being put in a special class um, in right. 1980 to 1995 standing in front of my fellow seniors giving them advice on how to live their life after graduation, even though I had no idea myself on how to do that. You yeah. <laughs> have done I yet. hadn't done that yet, <laughs> but I'm going, to, I'm going to bring this back to coaching. Sure, so sure. What I found even after I graduated, for years and years, people always come up to me to help them get motivated or for inspiration. And you know, I, I got pretty good at that. And what I was doing was giving them advice. So for years and years, I would do that. And I never knew the term coaching, I, mm. giving advice and helping and, um, you know, uh, Les Brown, Jim Rohn, some people who I listen to the, the audio tapes over and over and over and over and over again for two reasons. One, to get that lesson, to get the lesson that they're teaching on how to improve your life, how to go forward, how to really have a life by design. But two, and for me most importantly, how to speak, how to motivate people, how to inspire people. And I took those things and I really tried to design my life there. Now that doesn't pay bills. That wasn't paying bills at all because I wasn't doing Mm -hmm. things professionally. So I did, I was working for Ernst & Young, Howard University, and then IBM. And um, IBM brought me to China in 2008, which is how I came came to China. I'm going to fast forward now to 2015. I was doing, I was asked uh, to uh, do some volunteer coaching within IBM. At the time, it was called Blue Core Coaching, where they give you uh, about a four or five months of training, and then you go coach leaders and individuals within IBM. And it's pretty mm. interesting because up to that point, I was—I had been sort of what I call a motivator, an, 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 inspir- an inspirer. But the coaching, I think, gave me that last piece, that last missing piece of the puzzle. And I'll tell you what I mean. You know, Walker, if I – I'll tell you what. You give me – 15 minutes with you, I can inspire you, motivate you to run through a wall. right? I hope you wouldn't do it because it would hurt, but I can, I can, I can motivate you like crazy on Monday. Monday, right. you're motivated. On Monday night, you're motivated. You're calling your friends, telling them how motivated you are. Your life has changed, yada, yada, yada. Tuesday, you still got it. Wednesday, ah, but Thursday, Friday, you're back to doing the regular thing. Your motivation is gone. What, right. what coaching does, though, Coaching was that piece that was missing because coaching is that relationship between yourself and a client that keeps them going. So mm. then it's not so much about motivation, maybe some inspiration, motivation in the beginning, but that's not what's pulling you along. You're, you're, you're not, it's not the motivation, it's not the inspiration. It's you and a coach working together until you've reached your goal. So to me, that was like a major eye opener. And luckily, I was in IBM after I was, was doing that volunteer coaching for a while, I was asked to join a coaching team with an IBM. And that was a great experience because that really just, you know, put me in a position on a daily basis to help people improve their lives and reach their goals. Now, it's interesting because at that time it was individual leadership coaching and, and group coaching, which meant that the number one priority was the company's and end right, not not the company. And excuse me, but the company's the company's success. So we're sure. coaching individuals, but it's more of how can they be coached to help the company, which I, right. which I found to be, you know, it, it was okay, but you know, I'm not a purist, but I felt a little off because if mm. I knew an employee was in a bad situation, I could not, I could not really give them, not give them, I could not help them to discover the best solution. I had I I to tie it back to the company. So sometimes right. I didn't feel like I was, you know, helping as much. So I decided um, when IBM gave an option of moving to Beijing or finding another role, I decided to tell my wife, it's time for me to uh, it's time for me to go it alone. And luckily, now this is very important for entrepreneurs, when you tell your spouse that you're leaving your job that's been Paycheck for years and years and years to to not know when the paycheck is going to come. It's very important for the spouse to say, "Go for it."
0: Mm, <laughs> very yeah. important. Yeah, <laughs> need that
1: buy-in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So she gave me that buy-in, um, and it's been a, a a I would say a great journey for the last two years. That's about two, but little over two years ago. It's been a great journey, and now we're in a position where we're really helping a lot of people. And I'll come back to. Uh, what we did during the the COVID times because I was in China during during the outbreak. And the whole coaching situation changed. But at the time, that was secondary to keeping your family safe. So uh, I'll come back to that when you want to come back to that. But um, the the coaching we do now is uh, called life coaching. Under life coaching, there's an umbrella of different areas. I specialize in um, self-improvement, self-development. This is when you really have some have some things in your life that you really want to improve upon, perhaps how you maintain relationships, um, your ability to have more confidence in yourself, your ability to be more productive in that area. Also, do career coaching, which I think is one of the most important aspects of coaching because most people – I'll tell you a statistic. Most people have heart attacks on Monday mornings. Do you know Yeah. Huh. yeah.
0: I did not know that. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yes, yes, huh. yes. because they're, they're going back to their job that they don't like. And people spend yeah. so much time doing things and doing careers they don't like. So to me, career coaching is one of the most important aspects of coaching because we spend so much time working. And imagine you're doing something you feel appreciated about and you're getting paid for it as opposed to getting paid for something where you're not feeling good it 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 changes the mindset and it changes how you how you look at uh work and your career um and the final area that i was coaching and i say it was because it's on hold now is we call expat or relocation coaching oh we here you know shanghai we have a lot of foreigners coming in from different countries for work and it's hard sometimes to make that transition for spouses and, and the individuals when they move here. So I coach people on how to make the most of their time here in, in, in Shanghai. Um, however, as you know, as of right now, uh, foreigners are not allowed to travel into China. <laughs> so, mm. so, And um, so a lot of foreigners got caught out of China. So that aspect of coaching is on hold right now. But that will come back because the borders
0: at, at one point will, will, I hope, will open back up. Sure, sure. So the, the folks that you're coaching mostly are they are they people? I mean, obviously the expats would, when that was still going on, would have been there. But are the people largely clients based locally there, or are you talking to people from from other parts of the world too? Yeah,
1: it's about eighty percent initially it was about eighty percent located here in China, and I would say a mix down the line of Chinese citizens versus foreigners, um, mm-hmm. due to the uh, coronavirus, uh, COVID nineteen. It's now, I would say, a mix of about 50, 50 down the middle, people who are
0: in China versus people who are outside of China. Mm, okay, okay. Yeah, it's it's funny how um, it, so many things that we used to think we had to do in person, like as soon as COVID showed up, then we learned that, hey, it turns out we've got webcams and microphones, and right. <laughs> we can do a lot of this stuff, you know, in a way that we couldn't before. Yeah. Um, and we were doing our coaching. We were doing our coaching before, um, primarily through camera.
1: Uh, yeah the okay. reason being a lot of people are getting coached in the evenings and they're more comfortable getting coached while they're at home from work and whatnot uh, so that was that wasn't a big change but I'll tell you the change was now trying to uh, I don't say I guess say market towards marketing towards people who are outside outside of China which is what a lot of uh, which is what myself a lot of other coaches started doing more trying to uh, get more uh, clients get more branding outside of China. Mmm,
0: gotcha, gotcha. I mean, I'm kind of going off in a, a, a random direction, but I'm just curious. I mean, as someone who's lived in, I mean, I guess really Canada, you were a pretty young kid. Um, have, have, you, have you been back to Toronto at all as an adult? Yes. Uh, well, last
1: time I was in Toronto was probably let me, 10 years ago, 10 okay. years ago. And I, I don't want to go back yet because if I, if I go back now, it means I'm going for a funeral. So I, I'd rather not go back <laughs> anytime. Soon. Sure, and yeah, but but I I have
0: very fond memories of Canada. So I do I do
1: know Canada quite well.
0: Yeah, well, well. So you're just someone who has a unique perspective on, um, kind of, you know, America from, kind of a an an outside perspective or a more objective perspective because you didn't start here, right? Um, and then and then now going to China going there with kind of an outside perspective but then still having a similar perspective to America although also having lived here i mean how do you think that how would you compare them and and, and i don't I, i'm not trying to elicit any bad statement about china or anything like that but i'm just curious i mean there's a lot of common i think probably misconceptions about what it's like to live in china um, what how would you explain the, the the differences or
1: or maybe the similarities yeah let me first say you no know, my father used to always tell us you know, we're citizens of the world. Okay. I try to get as much experience living in different cultures, having people in your circle that have different views. So uh, I sought out people who were different from me, who had strange accents. Luckily in university, we had a lot of Caribbean, a lot of African students there as well to learn from them. Mm. Oh, you're right. Um, my, my, my first, I guess my first uh, uh, contrast feeling again, was when I moved to the U S from Canada, cause things were just so different uh, then. And that, what that did, that gave me a perspective of, well, there could be a different way that it's done, but this isn't, this isn't, this isn't so different from a lot of other immigrants to the U S you have a lot of people, a lot of families in the U S from China, from the Caribbean, from Jamaica, from Trinidad, from parts of Africa, from Europe. And when their parents moved to the U S within that household, that culture is that country. So you can still grow, you can still, uh, you know, be born in the U.S. and have a different perspective because inside that house, you're not eating, uh, you're not eating apple pie, American apple pie, right? right. <laughs> you're eating the dessert of your home country. Your parents are talking in their mother tongue or, or, or with, their, with their accent. So you're still getting that, right? you can still get the contrast. I think what's different though is being in the U.S., once you leave your household, you conform automatically to the environment. So even though inside the house, you may speak one language or you may have a uh, Jamaican accent, but when you go to school, you're speaking with your Louisville, with your Missouri accent, right? So that's one. (laughs) And I did, you know, growing up in the U.S., um, I never felt like I was African-American. And I'll I'll explain that. Uh, I was born in Canada, so... Right. African American is for, literally, uh, United States Americans, right? United yes. Americans. So in that checkbox, for a lot of years, um, when you have what they call those blind surveys at work, uh, yep. and I would check the other box, and they're not supposed to know who, who filled out what survey, and they come back and say, Colin, you haven't done your survey yet. And I'm like... <laughs> 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 so I, I call myself black, right? And I think that's right. a better term because if I call myself black, that's all black people globally, right? which right. is really really my group. Um, so um, so this is, uh, that's one thing. Um, and I think I'm getting off, off tangent here, but I'm going to, I'm going to bring it back. Oh, you're good. So growing up in the U.S., I, I, I never, you know, a lot, a lot of, I could talk about their grandparents down south and this and that, and I could never be part of the conversation because my grandparents were in Jamaica. And to a lot of to a lot of Americans, whether you're uh, Caucasian or whether you're black, it's America first, then outsiders. So I was in a lot of circles. I was viewed as a foreigner, even though I grew up there and whatnot. And I, I said, right. I, I, I said that because when I moved to to China, it changed, right? Because I had American accent, I was American. Mm. You know, it no longer a so long, just 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 American, and I, I can tell you when I came to to China and seeing the the the, the culture shock was was immense. So I went to college in Washington D.C. and I moved to D.C. in 1991, and I stayed in D.C. till 2006. And mm. Washington D.C. the the DMV area, the, the D.C. Maryland Virginia area, it's very black. It's very black. I think it's one of the uh, the Maryland area is one of the most populated African-American counties in the country. So, you know, we grew up in a, I like to say, we grew up in a black environment. And then I moved to Poughkeepsie, New York for, mm. for uh, IBM. And Poughkeepsie is upstate, not upstate, it's uh, maybe about an hour and a half north of New York City. And I went from being in a very diverse uh, environment to one where I was, again, one of the only blacks uh, there, but what that did, that prepared me for China. <laughs> right. yeah, so so it, looking back now, that was very good because it got me out of my comfort zone and it made me be more open to communicating with people who maybe I wouldn't have had a competition with before. Uh, right. right so so in China, what happened was if you see another and this is this is twelve years ago, which is different than how China is now. If you saw a foreigner twelve years ago, you cross the street and you say hello. Because in, in Shenzhen, there just weren't that many of us. So you start to say, you know what? I don't care where you're from. I don't care if you're from, you know, the, the, the southern part of the U.S. I don't care if you're white, black, purple. If you if you right. talk like me, if we can talk about sports, if we can talk about <laughs> common shows, you're my new best friend, right? So right. Back then, you had two bases of foreigners uh, in Shenzhen. You had those of us who worked for international companies such as manufacturing IBM, maybe some, uh, uh, um, uh, some uh, mobile phone companies or whatnot. And then you had uh, international teachers. And teachers were actually, uh, the more teachers in, in China than I think any other industry because a lot of uh, international, when, you're, when you have somebody come from the US or Europe to work in China, the kids need to go to international school. They can't go to local school. So you had a lot of international teachers uh, then and, and now. So they were always a good resource to to spend time with. Now the, the down part there is every two three years they have turnover there. So I you say you know what, I don't know if I want to necessarily make deep friendships here when they're going to be gone next year. But getting back to your questions about the culture differences, uh, sure. Yeah, what I what I learned the most about being in China was that the narrative of how people of color are viewed in the US is only mainly a US and maybe a European thing. Meaning um, in the US, and I'm gonna just be honest with you, in US, people of color, um, especially the darker color, are viewed more as guilty than anything else. A lot of times, uh, people feel threatened by uh, black people a lot of times in the U.S. strictly because of their skin color, strictly because yeah. of stereotypes. Um, this is this is the this is the stereotype or this is the um, this is the story of of how black people act or should be viewed in the U.S. Whereas when you go to China, they don't have the history. A lot of Chinese didn't even know about slavery. I mean, they do now in in, in bigger cities, right? But it's not sure. part of their everyday. What right. what they knew was Michael Jackson, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, yeah, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. So they knew about those famous uh, uh, African-Americans or blacks. And when they met you, they're more curious. Now, you, you get tired of people coming to you and touching your skin and touching your hair and asking for a picture. You get tired of that, but you understand. Right. It's not from a place of of, of, of it's from ignorance, not a place of any sort of, uh, uh, animosity was trying to trying to make fun of you, and it took me mm-hmm. about two years to get used to it because I get I get tired of walking down the street, somebody see me take take my picture. I said I'm not an animal in a cage, right? I'm a black guy, right? But my friend explained to me, Colin, some of these people come from small villages, small, small towns. They've never ever seen somebody black. So once I I understood that it it wasn't from it wasn't from the same place that it would've been back in the US. This is from more curiosity and ignorance. It helped me calm down a lot because I'll tell you what, I've never ever feared of getting injured or shot or anything here in China. If I hear the police siren, I know for a fact, they're not coming for me, right? Which is a very interesting thing because in the US it's a totally different experience. And I think that the Chinese people here, they they Still may think most black people are from africa, and i, I love that I, I love that part because we are from africa so but they won't think that you're a criminal they won't think you're a crook, they may think maybe you're poor from a poor country because Africa still viewed a the poor country so they may they may think that you're coming from a poor country they'll think you are well educated though right but if i if I contrast that to the u s where you know when I go back to the u s and as my plane is landing, I get tense you know i get oh. And my, my wife is Chinese, and I, I tell her, "Honey, when we get down here, here are the rules for us being back in the U.S. Right? Here's, wow. Yes, here's how you act, and here's how you act um, with the with the um, uh, what's it called the the, the, um, the not the police, but the, secu- the the guards when you go through the TSA, the, the security well, people. Well, the, the 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 um not TSA, the TSA checks you into the airplane. When it comes to uh. coming to the country, immigration, right? Here, here's, Here's how you act, right? We get out of here. If you if if you ever see um a police car or a policeman and we get pulled over, here's how you act. And these are things I go through with, with her each and every time we get back to the U.S. And now we have a baby boy, and I, I tell her all the time, you know, you have to be aware of, wh- of what you have here, right? In China, you have a cute boy. They love mixed babies here. Okay, they love mixed babies here, but in the U.S. He's viewed as he's viewed as a possible weapon. He is viewed, viewed as a weapon. Him as a weapon. Not anything he has on him. And I, I helped to educate her on the reality of that. And sadly, what's taking place over the last, I would say, well, years, but what's taking place more vividly over the last eight months has shown her what I'm talking about. Because I always sit her down and have her watch the video to sh- to show her what I mean. And she's she's finally starting to get it. So going back to to go way back to the original question. Um, yeah, you're good, man. I, I feel extremely free here. And I, I, th- this isn't just my feeling. A lot of um, brothers and sisters, we get together and we talk here. And we're shocked by how our, you know, we talk about PTSD, right? Post-traumatic slavery disorder. And how when we get here, we don't have, every black person has PTSD in the U.S. Um, it's a fact. Um, when we get here, we feel just so calm, so relaxed. And it's sad that we know the moment we go back to the U.S., it's the same old, same old, where we have to be careful where we go, what we say, and it's it's, it's a heavy burden. So a lot of folks don't really like going back, um, but we definitely feel free here. Now, let me be honest with you, there are some things that aren't right here in China as far as racial relationships, but compared to the U.S., for example, I know a lot of people tell me when they're going for jobs uh, as teachers, uh, they'll send in their resume, uh, they they'll say on uh, they'll, they'll do the initial on phone, phone interview it's great when they go into for the first face to face interview they'll say sorry they want a white teacher right because in a lot of a lot of ways you know, they'll, they'll be honest in a lot of ways uh, they, a lot of Chinese parents want their kids to learn american english and to them to be american is to be white uh, uh-huh. now yeah understand in china Everybody is Chinese. Every Chinese citizen is Chinese. You will not find a, a non-Chinese person as a citizen. I think there's, I think there's two, actually. Just two. Uh, Stefan Marbury and another Indian guy. That's it. Yeah. L- literally. So in their view, if you're a country has one race, right, if you're Indian from India, you look Indian. If you're from Africa, you're black, you look black. If you're American from the United States, you are white. So when they go for those jobs uh, for American English, they expect somebody white, and they'll say, "You know what? We can't hire you because parents want to have a, a a white teacher." Now that has changed over over the years, so so it's not as bad. But let me tell you, let me tell you, Walker, that sort of racism, we had that every day in the U.S. That's small, that's easy racism, okay? Right?
0: <laughs> yeah. No one's got a gun on the end of that. Right. That's
1: easy racism. I mean, we. I mean, back in. High school or middle school, when they're voting for office, right? Who's going to be the the class, you know, the class treasurer or this or that? Come on, we knew we were going to get in those positions, so we're, we're used to that part, right? That's, I call that easy racism. But the heavier racism, you um, don't have that here in China, and it is, it is, it is wonderful, it, it, but it makes it hard to come back to the
0: U.S. That's so it's so fascinating to hear that. Um, just be, because the rhetoric here for the majority of my life, which is why I was really excited to talk to to Katie Callahan, who I talked to a few months ago. And then to talk to yourself as well, is that there's this retic in the U S that like, you know, (laughs) all of our songs tell you it's the land of the free, right? So (laughs) freedom is a uniquely American thing. And China is this like scary totalitarian place. That's like, that's like 1984 that, you know, that Orwell book. Um, And, and, and I kind of was starting to gather on my own that that wasn't the case, and then I have conversations like like this with you, or, or again, like I did with Katie Callahan, where it, it's the opposite and and again, not like you said, it's not like everything there is perfect in every way, and that there's nothing that could be better or something like that, but it's not it's not at all that what <laughs> what it's claimed to be, what it's made out to be. Um, it's actually just people, I think I said this to Katie too, it's actually just largely people living their lives.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and let me say that um, I have, again, Shanghai being a very uh, culturally diverse city, I have friends from so many different countries in Africa. I have a lot of friends from different parts of China. And their biggest goal in the world is to get to the United States because the United States is viewed as the land of milk and honey. The United States is viewed as somewhere a friend of mine from Rwanda, he always tells me, Colin, no matter what job you have, you can buy a house in America. And you know what? He is, is kind of right. It may not be the best house, but you can you can right. buy a house. But in China, no way. In China, no way. Um, in, in his home, home country, no way. So to a lot of people, America is still the land of milk and honey. In China, for a lot of Chinese people in the United States, you can complain right? You, can complain. Mm-hmm. you can't complain here in China. So it, it depends on your background. I, I know my wife tells me she's Chinese all the time and my Chinese friends, they do have a problem with things here in China. Uh, I think being foreigners here, I am sort of shielded away from the problem because, you know, mm-hmm. typically the foreigners who come to China are coming here to to add value to China, meaning we're going here for corporate jobs, coming here to, to teach, we're coming here to really Help China become more, more culturally diverse. So, we're not going through some of the same issues that Chinese people are going through on a daily basis. So, for them, China is a yoke, right? For them, China is perhaps not the best place. I'll, I'll give you a good example. For years, my ex colleagues at IBM, one by one, they're moving to Australia and Canada. And I t- I'd ask them, why are they moving? And they say, well, here's the, here's the practical reason their children, education, pressure. So in China, I won't hear kids. I mean, now I will, but before before COVID, I wouldn't hear kids playing outside because mm-hmm. after school, the Chinese kids go to additional learning, art class, piano class, something. On the weekends, they spend all day in some sort of violin, um, advanced math, all day learning, learning, learning. Why? Well, because in China, everything is about your future, the kid's future. And if these kids don't do something to have a leg up on their classmates, they won't make it. So if everybody's trying to get a leg up, then nobody is out playing and having fun. It also means that the parents, after they go from work, they must sit with the kids and and help them with their art study, whatever it is. So the parents are feeling a lot of pressure to keep up. And of course, art classes aren't free, piano classes aren't free. So parents are feeling a lot of pressure to have to keep up. Then they said, you know, if we go to Australia, or if we go to Canada, it's different. The teachers will say, "Give your kids a little homework, but make sure they get outside and interact and have fun." Whereas in China, mm-hmm. it's not about fun; it's just about that. So, it's, so a lot of Chinese people they have a different view, and I think I'm not I think I know for a fact that that what's going on with the the, the structure, government structure they feel heavy. But as foreigners, we're treated we're treated we're treated very good here. So I think um, we have a different view um, and
0: different experience than a lot of locals do. Mm, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, well, it's, it's, <laughs> it, yeah, that's so, it's so interesting to hear you talk about when you come back to the United States, um, that there's just literally a, a, a tension. Um, so, and I don't mean to keep comparing everything to China. It's just, I don't know that much about it. So it's very interesting to me, but so like here in America, I mean, I, I, I'm a white guy, so I'm, I don't, have the same fear of the police that I think some of my black friends do, but I'm still not comfortable with the police. Like, so when I get pulled over, the first thing I do is shut the car off, put the keys on the steering wheel, you know, roll the window down, hands it 10 and two. Yes, sir. No, sir. The whole thing, right? Like I'm playing the game the whole time too. Cause when it comes to the American police, a, I don't think every American police officer is a bad actor to be clear. I, I think the vast majority of them are, are not, but you just don't know who you're dealing with. Cause I don't know this person yet. And, and the, the truth is that it like, they can, they can just kind of say something happened and, and did it happen or not? I don't know, but yeah. a court will decide later. And then that court is uh, probably going to believe the cop. Right. So, so there's this tension is that, does that same, is it not like that? Like in China, if you get pulled over, are you not hands at 10 and two and, Keys on the steering wheel and all that is it not that same experience? Yeah, well,
1: let me, let me say, I, I don't drive here in China, which is which is great. Um, I, do. <laughs> I don't drive here in China, but the police here are more in this the culture of China, they're more they want to resolve things, so they'll typically try to resolve things without having to go back to, to the police station. For most traffic violations, they get a ticket. Um, so I, I haven't been involved in many traffic violations here, so I can't really speak on that, but I want to go back to your sure. scenario in the U.S. Um, we follow that same. Scenario, except for two things. Um, we'll instantly call somebody on the phone and say, Hey, I'm being pulled over and keep it on speaker, right? And if oh, I am, we'll do that. Mm-hmm. And if anybody else is in a car, we'll tell them, shut the fuck up and don't say anything. Seriously. <laughs> not even, not, yeah. Don't say, do not talk to a police officer. If he asks you a question, answer it and don't have any attitude. But but collectively, when that happens, in the back of our mind is okay, we're about to get fucked over. Mm-hmm. And what, what that means is maybe not arrested, maybe not hit, but he's going to ask questions that, that he may not, maybe he wouldn't ask you. I mean, and, and yeah. I do expect answers. So three of y'all going tonight, we don't have to tell him that. But if we, right. if we don't tell him that, you have a problem? Get, get out the car. So we have to make sure that we are, we are keeping things very, very calm we have to ask questions that typically we, we don't have to, we, we would not need to need to answer. So it's a different, I think it is a different experience um, being pulled over and, and being, um, being singled out. I mean, now, now in the US yeah. you have a lot of people who are checking black folk, you know, what are you doing here? Why are you here? Um, you know, but it's, um, it's, it's, here's the thing Walker, for a lot of people, this is not new. The only difference is now it's on video. This has always happened. It's on right. video. And you mentioned before that this is a lot of protests because of George Floyd. Nah, this is not because of George Floyd. He just delayed it. This is George Floyd was a tipping point. This is Bianca <laughs> Carter, you know, Amon Arbery. We can go back a few years. I mean, there are so many different instances that this is this is just not just about one person.
0: That, that, that's a very fair statement. Um, I mean, I was astonished. Uh, Years ago, (laughs) when the Eric Garner situation happened, where we watched a man get strangled to death on camera. And not only did no one in the present moment do anything to help the guy, but then nothing happened as a result of it. Um, It just, it it just, I think actually the only people that got arrested immediately were the people who filmed it, if I remember correctly. Um, And then, yeah, just to fast forward a few years and see, literally the exact same phrase being uttered while yet another person is killed by the police. Um, the, I can't breathe. It's, it's, um, it, it's shocking. And I guess to your point, maybe it shouldn't be right. And, and, no, it, should be and to be fair, it should be shocking. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, it's, so on, on Netflix, kind of a weird angle, but it, it's like on Netflix, they have this, uh, this special now about Waco, Texas in the nineties, where are you familiar with yeah. that situation? Yes. Okay. So anyone that's not just go look it up. <laughs> David crash in the '90s, um, but anyway, the ATF eventually or FBI, whoever, raids his complex and kills people. And I guess this new special that's out on Netflix really, really um, angles it or, or really like tries to to illustrate how badly mishandled and how how horrible the government did at, at, at responding to the situation, which is fair. Like I don't I don't dispute that at all. But I had a friend come to me and tell me he was like, I can't believe he's like, I'm so like worked up right now. I can't believe the U.S. government did something like that. And I was like, I mean, I don't mean to be dismissive, man, but you realize that the U.S., the United States government was founded by slave owners. Right. Like (laughs) like this shit didn't start like with people being nice to each other and then slowly went off the rails like it started off the rails and kind of hasn't ever come back. Um, I didn't say this. I mean, I, obviously it's probably kind of evident um, and I'll I'll add it to the intro at the beginning of the show, but I mean, we're recording this on June 2nd in 2020 um, right in the midst of, of the the riots all across the United States. And and then also um, some in some places around the world um, really about kind of racial inequality, racial injustice, those sorts of things. So So in China, I mean, you you mentioned how, what your experience was like as a, as a foreigner there, but are there these kinds of racial or, or, or ethnic, um, I don't even know what word to use disputes is too calm, but problems in China, like among people, like the native peoples there. Does that make sense? Um, it makes perfect sense. And I'll ask like this, if there was, we'd never know about it.
1: Okay. Mm. So. Right now in the U.S., I could I could make a sign on a piece of paper on a poster board that says, I hate not the government. I hate my neighbor. I hate you neighbor. And I could put on and walk down the street back and forth in front of my house, one neighbor's house in China. You can't do that. That is disturbing the public welfare. So mm. so you can't do that. You can't have any sort of public display of emotion feeling—you can't, you can't you can't do that That, that, that's against that's against the law so um you wouldn't know about that also you wouldn't hear about that they do play clips of what's taking place in the u.s but if that's what first of all there are some there are some riots here um i know a few years ago they were doing a little riot in front of Foxconn, but they'll squash it so quickly and they'll make sure that no no video goes on on the news if they find video online then whoever posts that video is done so they're mm-hmm. very very good at protecting what they think is their center their their the the government and whatnot so you won't see that you know again about uh, protests and whatnot is illegal in china it's it's legal in hong kong for a little while longer but, but right. not in mainland china so you, you don't know about those those sort of things and also just looking at COVID, um one of the challenges that we had uh, in the early time of COVID, was we didn't know the real news within China. Um, if you look at the numbers, the numbers tell you that it's impossible that a country of 1.5 billion people only had 30,000, 30,000 what cases, and only about 3,000 right. died. So you don't know what's taking place. But um, people here have been so used to this way of life that they keep it moving. You know, we don't know what's going, we don't know what's going on, but just just keep it moving. So, 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 it, right. it, so it, it it does it does work on the
0: what do you um, and just just totally spitballing here but I mean what do you what do you think an outcome could be from this that would actually affect positive change because um, I you know I the, the protests are there the riots are there and clearly there is a long-standing problem that's not that's not been addressed ever but I don't I, like when I'm thinking about it like I don't know what this is a conversation I've had with some friends recently. Like, I don't know what um, like in, in the sixties, I'm sorry. I'm just kind of rambling in the sixties when we had like the civil rights movement. And I, and I, I'm not trying to simplify it to just sitting in a restaurant, but for example, like there's a group of people not allowed in a restaurant. Mm-hmm. All they want to do is sit in the restaurant just like anyone else can. And so there's a very tangible, like now you're in the restaurant and, and you're not supposed to be. And so that's the protest. And now, at some point, you're allowed to be in the restaurant. And so there's this tangible difference that we can see in the, the w- what you have access right. to, right? But so now, fast forward 40, 50 years, what now would be an example of that kind of tangible difference that we could see?
1: Yeah, and you know, th- that's, that's a great question. I, I listened to your, your previous podcast. And you talked to a gentleman who's a comedian. And you had a statement saying, same, pretty much the same thing, that the, from the protest, you don't know what's going to be the takeaway from the protest and yeah. you know one of the things that that is challenging for for i, I want to, I, I want to say more than just people of color one thing that's challenging is what are we trying to accomplish here yes. because as he said it during the civil rights movement we were trying to get laws either changed or laws made right so so things happen now you know there's no black water fountain white water fountain um we can we, right. we can vote right um, we can be part of the process now. Uh, but now today, we're finding that these same laws and other laws are geared against Black people or are geared for non-Black people. So what are we actually uh, protesting for? And I think a lot of Black people will have an individual answer to this. Let me first say that the, the, the major difference, in my opinion, the major, major difference between what took place in the 60s what's taking place now in the 60s, we had this, I'm going to use this term and I hope you can understand what this means. We had black leaders. Mm. Now we, I, we have people who are black, who may be in le- leadership positions, but I would not say that they are
0: our black leaders. I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I, I just want to clear just to, to make sure I'm kind of following along. So like, so I grew up, I was born in, in 83. So, um, I grew up in the you know in the eighties and nineties. And like I remember back in the early, in the eighties when I was a real young kid, like Jesse, Jesse Jackson, Jackson being someone yes. who was like an example of a black leader. Yes. And maybe even to some extent like Al Sharpton. Yeah. Yes. Be yes. Absolutely. And Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And like Louis Farrakhan is another yes. example maybe yes. of someone. Yes. So, so I'm familiar with those names, but those seem to be characters that now Aren't viewed with that same, I don't know, gravity. I don't, I don't know what word to use, but the same seriousness as but, they were back well, then. Well,
1: the challenge is, you know, once, <laughs> once people who aren't given opportunity, once some of them, once they don't have opportunity, everybody's fighting together. Once some of those at the top get opportunity, their priorities change. Mm. It goes from it goes from, and I'll I'll, I'll give you a twenty twenty example. Now, a lot of black voices, uh, they will come out and be very upset, very pissed off uh, about what's taking place. But they won't go as far as they should go. They will have a message, but they won't sacrifice because they know if they they really share what they feel, what they're going through, they may lose some of their followers. They may lose some of their contracts, some of their sponsors. Mm -hmm. So now, it's more... Not political. It's more of I want to help, but I don't want to fuck up what I got, which is very different right. because what you're showing is you're not willing to sacrifice. And, you know, for example, LeBron James had a very good tweet last week, and I think LeBron James is a great basketball player, a great, a great role model. I think he is a really a great role model. I don't view him as a pioneer and a black a black leader for the movement, right? And I want to be very careful how I say this because, again, I think he's a great role model. I think the narrative is that for black people now in 2020, our leaders must be entertainers. Our leaders must be musicians. They must be athletes. Where are the... Doctors, we're the lawyers. We're the people who have been in the political system for years. we are those leaders? And those are leaders that we need. People who have relationships in the federal system. People who, who can help us get help us understand what we need to do. Right now, we have we have all these um, protests taking place throughout the United States. But who is on TV saying I represent the black voice? Right? I'm leading the black voice. It's absent. But again, go back a few years ago, we had Jesse Jackson up there. We had those leaders up there. And let me say one thing that is very different, two things that are different about this protest. One, black people are sort of taking a step back. They're not rioting as much as people think we are. Um, we're seeing that these are uh, other rogue agents, so to speak, that are doing like, real damage, the spray painting, the the, the, the the breaking the windows. And people are seeing now that, Yes, we can riot peacefully. And two, for the first time in a long time, we have sustained support from non-Black individuals. So for the longest time, if, it's, if, if things happen to Black people and it's only Black people who are, who are protesting, who are getting upset, nothing's going to happen. But now I can say that we have more, more Caucasian, more white people who are staying in the fight, who are being loud, who are being vocal. And very sad to say... There are more prominent white people who are more willing to, to, to say F this, F this, and not worry about their endorsements than a lot of black people who are more worried about their endorsements. And that's fine, because th- right now the main thing is, is to is to get that support from the majority. And the black people, are it, we are not the majority in the U.S., so I think that's two things that are very different. From this protest, we're getting a lot of support from the Caucasian the white side, which which I think will really carry a lot of the weight. So I don't know what the outcome will be, but I know that you know white people don't let things go, right? So me, they, will, <laughs> they will say, No, we gotta get some change here. What change is coming? So I think I think that's something that's different, that's
0: good. <laughs> well, fair enough. Um- yeah. I just, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's something that I have, um, have struggled with trying to understand most of my life. Um, obviously, you know, I, I live in, in Springfield, Missouri, like I said earlier, which is a very small town, but like growing up, I mean, my, my three closest friends were a guy who's Filipino, a guy who's black and a guy who's, uh, I think like Arabic and Japanese or I don't know, but like, so in this, Whitest of white places, I still <laughs> managed to actually end up finding a somewhat diverse group, as diverse as we could get here. And it it just it, it it it's so it's just so shocking to me that it that it still is something that people um, carry with them in the way that they do. And, and and an argument I've made in the past about racism and sexism and really all forms of, of bigotry and, and stereotyping like that is that. Even outside of the cruelty of it all, which that is the worst part of it, so I'm not trying to downplay that, but even outside of the cruelty of it all, it actually just doesn't make any sense. Like, if I want to judge the character of people, which all people do and you have to do when you interact with individuals, right? You have to be able to make some assessment of, is this safe? Is this dangerous? Are they nice? Are they mean? Whatever it is. So I want if I want to be able to accurately judge the people that I'm around, then i you're going to have to make quick judgments on people because you're not going to get to know everyone at all times. It it, it doesn't make sense that you would use a metric. I'll call it (laughs) being skin color in this case to determine those things because it's not accurate. There's way, way too many examples of people of all, again, genders, races, everything that fit every different personality type that you could come up with that. I don't understand. I don't understand just from their own from a self-serving interest why you would use a criteria that doesn't actually work. Like if you, if you, when you make these broad stereotypes about the character of people based on again, things that actually are totally independent of their character, you're actually just doing a disservice to yourself. And again, that's not even to speak to the cruelty and and all of that of it. Um, I don't know. It's just, it, it's something that I, I just struggle with understanding, even the, the premise of it.
1: <laughs> well, I think I think it it, it works. So it worked, you know. I mean, having that mentality have, have, have brought America to where it is now, and, and meaning that yeah. it, it's a strong country. It, it is you have the you have the minority, the majority there for a reason, right? So I think you know sowing that discord or or having those stereotypes and um, using skin color or where you're from as a way to judge people. I think that absolutely has worked, and that's how you have that majority power in in the U.S. But but I'll I'll share one thing with you that that I found very interesting. So as you mentioned, your best friends were uh, Filipino, black, and other Japanese, um, uh, Iranian guy. Uh, So now I think, and again, I'm thinking for, for me, and I can share what my friends and I talk about, but I want to make sure these are my comments as As a black man i'm forty six years old. I totally recognize that not all Caucasians in Europe or in the United States are bad people. If you go back, say five years ago, and there was some sort of issue in the u s, we would say, "You know what f all white people um we're tired of this we're tired of we're tired of this because back then the white people i said the white people <laughs> the <laughs> white people were more unified as A white group. Now, Mm. when when Trump came in as president, what that what (laughs) that did for the first time now for the first time, you saw a divide between white people. So when we see Mm. when we see go back five years ago, when you see a racist cop or that's a white racist cop, you know, that's how white people are. Go back two years ago, see the same thing. Now it's more of, well, that's a white racist cop. He's a Trump sport. He's a Trump cop. <laughs> so so yeah. what what it comes us to do because at the same time, a lot of white people were so upset over some Trump stuff we never saw that before. yeah, some people didn't like Bush's policies, but not like what we saw for Trump so a lot
0: of go, go ahead well I was no I was just gonna say a lot of the bush stuff was like anti-war stuff right, right? it wasn't really domestically right. that anyone really had huge problems but with Trump, yeah, yeah I mean, you've got people super pissed about domestic policies anyway and and what we saw
1: what we saw was wait a second you're telling me that there are some white people that don't like this that don't don't you know that don't uh, have the same thought process that these guys have so instantly we started seeing some some the the trump white people and the non-trump white people now at the time the 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 non-trump white people were still quiet when things happened so we would say, okay, you know what? Um, we have uh, um, Eric Garner. The 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 Trump white people were, well, he should have been selling cigarettes on the corner illegally, right? He should have been he should have been doing that, whatever. Then right. The non-Trump white people didn't say anything. Mm. But now, now we're seeing that the non-Trump white people are saying, wait, 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 this is ridiculous. So now we're starting to see that. There is a there is a, a um, force that is fighting for justice, and equality within the white community, which is very new. So I say it to say that don't think all black people um have issues because we don't we don't we, we see it now as the wow. Trump the Trump type of white and the non-Trump white. So we do think that now we have a good opportunity because again, as I said, once you have white people or, or Caucasians who have your back verbally, I mean i mean out in public more than likely to succeed
0: yeah yeah the trump phenomenon is so uh shocking because there's there's people who that i that i know and, and love and 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 they're genuinely nice kind people like they're not they they i've never heard him say a crossword kind of thing you know and then they voted for him and i i i don't know it's it's just it's very um it's very confusing to understand it's he's confusing because it's like the people who he's tricked into liking him are the people that should just absolutely oppose him like if you're a poor white person you should hate that guy like he re- he represent, he doesn't represent you in any way you know what i mean yeah. but that's his biggest strongest base um anyway yeah. well let me say this there's, let me say this um
1: you, you say he tricked people to us it was like duh right? This is how America really is. Now you guys see it. Now you guys see what we've been talking about for so long. This is, people will tell you, man, you know, this Trump guy, I'm not going to vote for him. And they go vote for him. And it tells you how they how they feel and they think in their hearts, right? Now, I'm not saying all of them are, are, are bad people, but it does show that there are people who think that, who are very nice people, who you work with every day, but they do think that America is more of a country for for, how do I say this, for people who are here. They will say blacks, whites. And when it comes to uh, 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 Mexicans coming in, when it comes to South America coming in, maybe not. When it comes to immigrants coming in, maybe not. So they're more for, they'll accept blacks as being Americans. But that's about it. That's about it. So there are several different variations of what you call Trump supporters. But look, half of America voted for Trump. You know? So it wasn't one or two people.
0: No, it wasn't. It wasn't. You're right. Yeah, yeah. You're right.
1: So for us, it would mark like a like this is this is what we see on a daily basis, man. You know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I was just. I mean, yeah, I was just. I was floored. I mean, I I wasn't a fan of Bush whenever he was, mm-hmm. when he was president, and when Obama came, I was blown away that 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 was the the next choice, and eagerly supported Obama and 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 thought that like maybe we had turned a corner where like now that position was actually going to be held by people who are like respectable people, you know? And then man, did I get kicked in the mouth? Like that was completely wrong. Like yeah. we went a, as hard, the opposite direction as we possibly could have.
1: Well, you know, in 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 a black community right now, our biggest concern is what's going to happen um, next year when Trump wins the reelection, because, because quite, quite <laughs> frankly, um, and, and first of all, let me say this: I've never voted in the United States because I'm not a citizen. So, right. so, so I, I have no. Well, I do have a horse in the race, but I'm not directly involved in picking the next leader. But I think that Democrats uh, did a terrible job of having somebody who people can rally around. So I'll tell I'll tell my wife last night that Joe Biden is just there's, there's nothing fan there's nothing interesting about him. So I think that that Trump, when he does win, um he's really going to just double down on everything. And luckily, luckily, that doubling down is going to make that, 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 that divide between the, the Trump whites and the non-Trump whites even bigger. And I think those, so the so so people of color and the non-Trump whites will have an opportunity to work together. And, and Walker, Walker, let me ask you a question I, I, I want to make sure I'm not offending you. As a black person, no. as a black person, should I say white people or Caucasians? Oh God! It doesn't, it doesn't matter. I don't
0: give a shit. <laughs> okay, yeah. okay. I mean, I mean, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't matter, okay. and it's it, it's it it yeah no it does yeah it doesn't doesn't matter to me at all. Okay. I, obviously, I don't represent everyone, but um, anyone who would say they have a problem with that, fuck them, because okay. Okay. that's ridiculous. Okay. Okay. It, it's honestly, it's kind of like when people, it, it's different, but it's like like there's the N word, mm-hmm. right, that has a very very cruel storied history, and then there's I, I don't know how long it's been around, but I would guess a rather recent term of, of white trash, right, 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 that people are called. And I've heard white people say, like, oh, well, that's the equivalent. It's like, it's not even kind of the equivalent. It's not even – doesn't even approach equivalency. So, um, yeah. So no, yeah. Well, not- well, well, look, white, white – <laughs> the, the term white trash, in Louisville, Kentucky
1: anyway, was, was coined by white people. yes i mean
0: (laughs) right it's the same in that way it's the same in that way both were coined by white right 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 but yeah no it's it's uh no no nothing that you've said is even approaching offensive at all um no i mean it's, it's i was talking to a buddy before we started recording this evening that um it's a it's you know, as someone myself who sees myself as, as a white person that's that's an ally of um, not just black people, but my, again minorities in general. Or it, it, once gay marriage got legalized, mm-hmm. it kind of shifted the conversation mm-hmm. about that here in America. But when homophobia used to be a lot more rampant, mm-hmm. um, I had a friend a few years ago. I work you know in in technology, and I had a friend that's a female that started. Um, and she, she really kind of exposed me to a lot of ways that she experiences sexism that I hadn't really understood. Like, I, I didn't think that that was nearly as prevalent as it is. And that's the, that's the thing too, about, you know, earlier when we were talking about kind of what are the tangible differences that we can see, that's the thing is that I think that a lot of racism now, I think a lot of people who are racist now are not card carrying kkk members right like they would never burn a cross in someone's yard they would never drive down the street and yell the n-word and maybe that's just out of fear but i I do think that there is a, a a large segment of people who don't who don't necessarily hold hatred in their hearts but what they do hold are a large set of stereotypes and biases some of which they might not even be consciously aware of that they have And they think that that's not the same as racism, because they think that racism is only if you're willing to to participate in a lynching or something crazy like that. It's like, no, it's making assumptions about character based on race, which has zero to do. Right, right, right.
1: It's it's interesting because as, as growing up in the United States and being black, we always felt, well, we always were, I don't want to say comfortable, but when we see... What we call um, uh, overt racism, where you're seeing somebody's calling you the N word, somebody's acting a certain way. We see it. We say, okay, you know what? We can see this. But you have hidden racism. And that's always been more dangerous. Hidden racism is you walk into a job with your resume in your hand, you know you're not getting that job. You know, once they see you, you're not getting that job. Hidden racism is your your um, kids have a birthday party, everybody is invited except the black kids. That's hidden racism. Mm. So, and that is that is just, you know, that's been there. That's again. And I, I apologize for keep saying it's been there, but all of these no, things we're, we're yes. experiencing, it's been there for years. As, as black folks, man, we, 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 we've dealt with this. And the, the, the problem is not the problem, but if you think about what slavery did, slavery said for four hundred years, you have to accept this being treated a certain way. Even after slavery, we had to accept being treated a certain way. If you go out and you see uh, black, people, black somebody black being lynched you couldn't do anything you could not do anything you had to accept it so you're coming you're talking about people who for years hundreds of years had to accept things which is why we're not so quick to fight back now because part of part you know, part of it even with the police don't cause trouble don't cause trouble just just mm-hmm. deal with it so you, you look at people and that's one of the challenges we have now is that we have been conditioned to accept bad treatment we've been conditioned to not, to not react because the more you react, the more it becomes a problem, and it's more of you're causing the problem. So, um, so it's a lot of things that we have to sort of overcome uh, um, that we haven't been able to overcome. But I'll tell you one thing: I'm very proud of. If you look at the protests now, as you mentioned earlier, it's all over the world, not just in the United States. And as he said, these people in Europe, in in Paris are protesting and I don't know what their demands are. Right. Right. (laughs) So, so people are just, are just rallying. And I wonder how much people are protesting for, uh, black people versus protesting against Trump. So, um, but, but either way, either way, it may not matter. The fact is that, People are protesting, and I hope they're going to stay uh, consistent. I hope the protests don't stop. But I don't know what – I haven't heard anybody in the U.S., outside the U.S., really have any demands that could actually be uh, uh, quantified and met, right? We want equal justice. What's that mean, though? How do you – what do you right. how do you do that? You, you talked about this earlier. How do you do that? And internationally, stop what's taking place in the U.S. Okay, but – what is it that we can do here, right? We, can't put, right? we can't put sanctions on the U.S. until, you know, so, yeah. But, but I, I still do hope that the uh, protests take place peacefully. And I hope that from this, like a phoenix, we get strong, real black leadership, which we don't have now. Right now, we're just yeah. a, a, lot, lot, a lot of boats, a lot of boats that are sailing, but not in one direction, not with one course in mind
0: Mm mm-hmm well so do you i mean do you think that that would barack obama be a candidate for someone that could that could maybe fill that void i mean he's he's not he's not an entertainer right like he comes from a very academic respectable and obviously was the president twice you know what i mean so could, could he take up that mantle and and i guess i don't know how you ask someone to do that or how that manifests itself but that's a very very good question um
1: I would I would oh that's a very good one but why well, hasn't done it yet you know it, it's sort it's sort of like right. sort of like that and I would say honestly if I if I look at the 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 fire that's needed uh, and the strength that that's needed I would say I'd rather have Michelle Obama there being that being mm. that voice right because Michelle Obama yeah, yeah. she has what we call street cred, right? She is more because she wasn't president; she could speak her mind a little more. I think Obama still has to make sure that he he um, is very. And he, he's, Obama's great, right? Um He has to be very mindful of, of what he says and how he does it. I think Michelle can really rally rally the, mm. rally people around us. So I think Michelle would be great. I think Obama would be great also. Um I, I don't see him as being. Wow, well, that's. I, uh, now now you
0: see he's out of trouble now because now i'm saying why haven't why haven't he done that right why haven't he done right that, uh, well i think to some extent and again I'm, obviously i'm speculating he's never said anything at least that i'm aware of but i think to some extent it's that um anything he says in the existing climate and and, and i think the farther away from 2016 we get the less true this becomes but especially right after that if he comes out full force against something it could very easily the narrative will quickly be it's sour grapes because of the political outcome. Right. And, and I don't think that would be true or that would, that is his motivation. I don't think he's petty that way, but I think that's where the narrative gets spun. Now, I think as, again, as we get farther away from 2016 and that election result, I think maybe he has more bandwidth. I mean, he, you know, in the commencement speech, he still didn't say Trump's name, I guess, but in the commencement speech that he filmed for local high schools or whatever, he did he did kind of, he did call out the you know the lack of leadership right. or the the bad leadership that we had so it's becoming a little more overt um but you're yeah. right michelle might be a much more um she might have an easier path to that because she doesn't have all of the history of yeah. like you said being
1: and, and, president. and obama yeah obama is very political and if you if you mm-hmm. look at you know the black leaders they have been more when apolitical, non-political, uh, I forgot the proper term. So I think it's hard for him to come from that structure and, and be, right. be authentic and be, be able to, 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 to sort of share the, share the story of a lot of black people, right? Um, we all, we all right. know Obama's background, no, you know, that's fine. But I think he's still sort of um, bound by certain constraints of what he can say, what he, what he can't say. Um, mm-hmm. the, the last thing Obama wants to be viewed as is an angry black man. Because people think if you're an angry black man, you, you're no longer seeing with logic. You're seeing with, with, with fury. And there's, there's one of the things that people in the U.S. fear. Fear of a black man. Fear of an angry black man. So he does not want that. If you think about um, Dr. Martin Luther King, um, Jesse Jackson, they, you never saw them really getting angry. Frustrated, yes. Not angry. Now, Malcolm X, you saw him getting angry, right? But, but, he, but he, had, right. he had a different
0: message. So I. But well, white America terrified of that. Yes. Guy, so. Yes. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I, I, I'll tell you who I, I wonder where he is right now. Um, Farrakhan. Where's Farrakhan? Mm. Farrakhan was a leader, I mean, especially after the Million Man March, what he did there. Uh, he's a leader that is respected in all corners of the black community. Now, some black blacks may not be Muslim and may not agree with all of what the muslims are saying but they do respect farrakhan so i am wondering where he is right now maybe he's scared because he knows um if he you know how long will a black leader make it if they're really getting changed right so maybe people just don't want to be put in that position because all the other black leaders have
0: been killed just about right right yeah no that's a that's a very i mean to be completely honest i was and i don't mean this flippantly but I really was shocked that Obama survived his presidency. Like I, I, I thought for sure that if they didn't succeed, there would at least be a lot yeah. of. It. I'm sure Secret Service shuts stuff down, but still, uh, yeah, astonishing. Uh, well, because you're- yeah, well, look, what was astonishing
1: was him being elected president, right? That yeah. was astonishing. <laughs> and if my, I I'll tell you the truth, man, go back ten years, well, more than ten years now. Go back to 2007. Yeah. And if, if my child or little nephew or little niece or any, any black kid said they want to be president, I would pat them on the head and say, You can be whatever you want. Yeah, no way you're going to be president and be back in the United States. So to me, to me and my, my friends, that was something that honestly we never thought we'd see in our lives. Before I die, I want to see an alien. I believe that there are other life forms and I believe sure. that that will happen. I would tell you that I will see an alien before you see a black president. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, so him making it, him making it. And, and again, making it eight years, I think that that is a, a, a testament to the United States. Um, but, but, but yeah. I also think that, you know, it's called course correction and that's right. why you got Trump, Trump, right. That's why you got Trump. Oh
0: man. Yeah. 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 God, what a price.
1: Yeah, but you know, I think that yeah. I, I think that you know, at the end of the day, we I think will course correct again, right? Will course correct yeah. again, and and there will be a lot of healing, and there will be some positive things that come out of this this Trump time.
0: Yeah, yeah, I you know I can still go back. I I'll pull it up. I mean, not like every week or something. It's not that often, but once in a while, I'll go pull up on YouTube, um, Obama's victory speech in two thousand eight, where he says, you know, change has come to America. Mm-hmm. Man, I, I mean, even still, twelve years later. I mean, even now, just thinking about it, get goosebumps. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's just it. It felt so exciting. Uh, I don't know. I hope we can get back to a time <laughs> where that's the, what the, the who, what the president inspires in people. You know what I mean? Like a feeling of hope and and excitement and like, wow, maybe <laughs> maybe things could be better. Maybe things could be different. Yeah. Uh, but maybe, but maybe,
1: to- maybe you have to blow. You have to totally. You have to totally implode right because, if, because again again yeah. let's not be naive and think that there's no way trump will win in november oh right? let's not be naive about that so if he does 100%. right so if he does win things are going to get worse but maybe them getting worse will find people who who want to really be true leaders and that may you know, i mean let's be honest you know, four years of, of, of negative to have 20 years of positive. Maybe that's it's worth it. I, I don't know. But I don't see anybody on the horizon now that's going to bring change or, or even or even um, um, challenge Trump. So we have to get ready for that. And we have to sort of, you know, hope that somebody from our community, black, white, person of color, it doesn't matter, is really that inspiration. And I'll, I'll tell somebody a few days ago, where the hell is Al Gore? Where's Al Gore, right? right. <laughs> he's, he's making that Yeah. <laughs> Where's Al Gore, man? When we need him.
0: Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I was astonished that, that Joe Biden was the, the pick. And then, I mean, it's just, it's moment after moment. I mean, what was it, a week ago? He was on Breakfast Club with Charlemagne and... <laughs> told people that he doesn't know if they're black if they don't know about him and it's just like yeah. oh my god dude, please please stop <laughs> yeah well well, first of all him being on that show
1: was just you know was just like this is, look, look at this pr it was like when, when, hillary, when hillary clinton oh, was introducing mick mill and jay-z at a rap contest right i'm r- 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 rap you know it's like really hillary clinton talking about mick mill what the heck is what, what the what kind of
0: you know, <laughs> <So>. <laughs> right. right, right, right. Yeah, it's it's very on the nose. Yeah. So I, you know, I guess I'll, I'll we've been talking for, for quite a while. I mean, in your opinion, um, as a, as a, I mean, and really this doesn't have to be just for white people, it's for, for anybody, but what do you, what do you, what do you think people should be doing on a day-to-day basis to, um, continue helping this movement stay in the forefront and stay something that's, that, that maintains its position in the national conversation? Um, and that, and to actually contribute to 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 what's going on. Sad to say, I I don't know because
1: yeah, because again, as we talked about, sustained protest must be because we have some demands. There's something that we want. There's something we're fighting for, and f- fighting yeah. over something that already happened isn't going to be productive. We have to fight for something we want to happen in the future. So I don't know how sustained protest will work. I'm also concerned that. What you're seeing is people coming together and there's no it's sort of like um, the, the, the coronavirus has been defeated because now what's on yeah. people's mind is, is the protest. So looking at, you know, how do we protest but still be wary of this virus that's wrecking uh, the world? Because don't forget, the economy is going to take a hit and the same people that are protesting or being impacted are losing jobs. Um, don't have that income, are still at home. So we have to. We have to say, what can we do to, to establish a new normal? That new normal is first keeping your your, your family and loved ones free from the coronavirus, or or, or or getting it and 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 dealing with it and healing and being able to go forward. And also, what do we do with the, the state of abuse that's happening, in the U.S. And 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 luckily. I'm so far away here in China that I don't need to have the answer because I don't know. But I will say on an individual basis, I think that people need to not be scared to to protest in their way. Uh, It doesn't mean you're on the streets protesting. It could be the fact that you're wearing a T-shirt with a slogan on it. It could be that you change your your email tag or your, your social media tag to say a certain thing that shows you support because we have to let we have to let folks know that we are all rallying around this and we're not letting go also we have to use the the, the, the biggest weapon that we now have are our cell phones we have to continue to video things we have to continue to, to post things to let people know any incidents whether it be a, 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 a situation that's violent or whether it be somebody ask somebody asking uh, Trying to call you for barbecuing in the wrong area, or somebody trying to uh, call the police on you because you asked them to, to muzzle their dog. So we have to make sure that we're continuing to film things and and let people who are being bad actors let them know that you're going to be on you're going to be on blast. You're going to be on social media. You're going to lose your job. Your friends are going to friends are going to start to distance themselves from you. Not we're going to ruin your life, but your, your life will be impacted from that.
0: Yeah. Um, well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for that. And, and and I didn't, you know, I didn't mean to frame that as like, Hey, you're the one who's responsible for, <laughs> for solving this. I just simply, I was just curious as to what your thoughts were, because it's something I've been thinking about a lot, about a lot recently. Um, and I've had, I've had other friends that have, I've talked to that say, I don't know what I should be doing. I'm feeling, I'm feeling a lot of white guilt right now. Um, and I, I you know, I don't think sitting around feeling, sorry for yourself will help either so I don't think that's the appropriate yeah outcome. Well,
1: let, let me add this and th- this is not a um this is not a, 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 a commercial or, or opportunity me to commercialize but this is this is a great uh, time to get coaching and I'll, I'll tell yeah. you why because people are feeling a certain way you talked about white guilt um, there's a lot of black people who are just who don't know how to feel and I know in the black community, people feel a certain way about getting counseling. Uh, counseling maybe maybe has a negative uh, uh, a view to it, so people want to stay away from counseling. But and I say, if, if you need counseling, get counseling. But also, this is a great time to get coaching, and this is what we did mm-hmm. during COVID. So, if I let me just go into this just for a moment. So when mm-hmm. when COVID hit um, back in uh, January, in January in China, I was in South China with my wife in her in her hometown and. She's from the country, country. When I say country, country, all your dinner is in the, back, in the backyard. The chickens, the, the geese, the, the plants, right. everything is in the backyard. So it's the country, country. And <laughs> there's no mask or anything like that. Um, the word came down about Wuhan. The 24 hours, everybody had, had a mask on. My son was five months old at that time. And we decided, on our way to Hong Kong, we decided to go to the airport and come back to Shanghai because we didn't want to get caught outside of Shanghai. When we got back to Shanghai... And the thing about China is if, if the government says, we think you guys should stay inside and don't go out, nobody goes out. That's it. Right. There, there is no, it's my right. No, everybody will follow the follow the the, the, the regulations. So um, that was wonderful. Um, but what we saw was from a coaching standpoint, a lot of my clients said, Colin, um, I want to put a pin in coaching right now because my first priority right now is not finding a job, is not understanding how I can better communicate with my friends. It's not working on improving my self-confidence. It's not being more productive. It is protecting my family from this new monster called coronavirus. Back then, it wasn't COVID-19 yet. It was still coronavirus. Right. Yeah, right. So, so, and I agreed. My mindset was not on coaching, but my mindset at that point was very much on protecting my family, understanding more about what this thing is and how to keep it from, from coming into my house, and also protecting my wife because she was watching news twenty four seven and getting scared, 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 scared. Mm. But what was interesting, what we found was a few days, weeks later, a lot of my old colleagues, clients, friends in the U. S. would call me and say, Colin. Um um I'm going a little crazy because we're stuck in a house. I want to strangle my wife. I want to stab my husband. My kids are driving me crazy. <laughs> so right. So getting so now they want to get coaching on how to maintain uh through this, this COVID time. And it was very interesting because what we learned what, what what we learned was coaching was good, but a lot of folks from the US and this is now it's March. And by that time, we had like six weeks of going through the the COVID time here. So we knew two things. We knew how to keep your family safe and sort of how to keep your mind safe. At that time, folks from the U.S. were contacting me saying, Colin, what is this COVID thing? It's now coming to the U.S. What is this thing? Can you give us some tips on how to, you know, disinfect ourselves, how to really stay safe? So what I did, I got tired of replying to emails every day um, saying (laughs) one by one by one. So I created some videos and put them on Facebook saying, look, one, Our family's safe. Here's proof because you're in China. They don't know if you're telling the truth or not. So here's my family, right? (laughs) Everybody is safe. We're good. And also here's some tips on how to protect the one place you can protect that's inside your house. Um, Luckily, uh, a production group asked asked me to do more public service announcements. So we agreed that I would do, well, I told them I wanted to do 30 messages over 30 days. So every day doing a different Message. Now, that's a, that's a big commitment for one person. So, um, I had sure I had is. I had a team of coaches that were originally here in China. I recruited eight coaches to help get the message message out. Now, the beautiful thing is, all the coaches in China went through COVID. The coaches who went back to you to the U.S. were here. Went back for Chinese New Year, and were stuck back in, the, in their countries, which was good because we had one in New York, one North Carolina, who could give them the the aspect of of coaching from here, what's going on now. So from, from, I believe it was April, no, from March, no, April 1st to May 1st, every day we had like a, like a 30 minute uh, video giving tips and insights on how you can deal with COVID. And originally it was about COVID, COVID coaching. We call ourselves the COVID coaches, but after about a week, and I'll admit, when you have coaches who are relationship coaches, relationship coaches, uh, career coaches, um, uh, happiness coaches, uh, positive positive mindset coaches, personal development coaches. It's hard for them to to focus on COVID because I told them, the guys they asked us to give COVID messages, so everything you say must be around COVID. And it was very difficult because all these lessons were not about COVID. It's about right. life, right? So, for example, our relationship coach, if you if you and your spouse or you and your kids are having issues being locked in the house. Well, those issues existed before COVID. Our, right. Our COVID deal was, was magnified them, so we changed our our focus and we talked about how this is really more life coaching. So we're giving tips, 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 and those tips really helped a lot of people to to I say thrive through that COVID time. So I, I want to go back to your original question, which I got w- w- way off track. Um, but I found that one of the best things people can do now is open up to the idea of coaching. with coaching can help you manage what you're going through. But more importantly, it can say, look, you're going to look back on this time, six months from now, a year from now, and ask yourself, what did you do to get better? What did you do to learn? What did you do to make sure that when this is all over, you're not going back to the same lifestyle? You're going to a, a better lifestyle. And people are saying, look, I want things to go back to normal. Well, look, man, normally you hated your job. Right, you had issues with your spouse, right? You didn't have confidence, so no man, you do not want to go back to how it was before, you want to get better. So, after our 30 days, uh, we asked ourselves, What can we do now to really, really help? Because remember, these videos were more messages, and I'll give you the URL for the video later, but these are more messages. We said, Now, how can we do real? coaching to help people so we started another campaign which is 40 for 40 so i recruited 40 life coaches 40 40 life coaches globally globally and each of them are volunteering at least one hour per week over eight weeks so we're doing this through the end of june and this is absolutely free coaching pro bono coaching for anybody who needs coaching this is not sign up and we're going to try to sell you on coaching trying to pitch you to buy a contract no 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 Absolutely free. The coaches aren't selling anything. The coach's goal is to, in that hour time period, give you some t- help, coach you through how to take actions to improve your life. The challenge we had is um, getting the the word out to people. So I ho- I'm hoping your platform, your podcast, folks listen to this, can just say, you know what, I may not know what coaching is, the coaching is about, but sign up for th- sign up for a, a free session, um, talk to a coach, and see how the coach can really help improve your life because because coaching is really just a partnership uh, between a coach and a client where we explore different avenues for the client and you to improve your life to reach your goals. So this is uh, this is a wonderful program that, we, again, we have coaches in Europe, in uh, South America, North America, Africa. Wherever you are, we have coaches there that are waiting now to provide you with some free coaching support. So, again, going back to what you were saying before about what can folks be doing now, I think
0: getting some coaching. And, and again, it, it's totally free. Yeah, no, that that is that is great advice. Um, and it. I mean, I personally I signed up with a coach eh, maybe October, November of last year um, and still work with with her to this day. Um, and it's been a, a tremendous value. And I like that you compared it to, to counseling because you're right. People do have a stigma about counseling. And I, I think it's because they think that if they need to go see a, a counselor or a therapist, that it means that like they're conceding that something is like fundamentally wrong mm-hmm. with them. Mm-hmm or something um which i don't agree with that assessment right. of of seeing a counselor or therapist but but coaching i don't think carries that same kind of stigma with it but honestly i mean man if you go see a, a psychologist that talks about cognitive behavioral therapy <laughs> which is just changing the way that you act i think that there's a lot of similarities between that and what a coach is going to help you with you know what i mean like it's they're not as far apart as people would think right like it's about changing the way you interact with the world around you to feel better or perform better or whatever better well, what well, well, I
1: think I think one of the, the main differences between coaching and counseling or, or coaching and therapy and a lot of times people ask us you know what is coaching they're really asking the question is what how is coaching different from therapy or counseling the, the main the main difference that I see it is when you go to a therapist or a, a counselor, we want to, and you're feeling a certain way. We want to understand and analyze why you feel like this. Maybe there's a situation in your childhood, um, we want to we want to go back there. We want to analyze it. We want to help you to deal with it, to help you feel better from it, to help you understand how that impacts your life. With coaching, we will acknowledge that there's something from the past, but our focus is only on the future, right? Mm. We're not trained or equipped to help you uh, deal with uh, certain things. That's why counselors, you have, you have a counselor therapist, our focus is going forward. Everything about us is what can we do to improve your life going forward? the counselor or therapist, they, they need to spend time going back to help, help you go through that. And again, if you need counseling, go see a trained, licensed counselor. For coaching, go see, a, go see a certified coach because we're focusing on the future. What can we do to improve your life going forward? Not so much about what got you here
0: yeah i had I had another individual I, I can't remember who it was on top of my head now, but they they the distinguishment they drew between the two was that they said that that counseling is or therapy is more about more focused on trying to take something that you think is uncomfortable and figuring out how to make it comfortable, whereas coaching oftentimes is actually more about taking you out of somewhere that maybe is comfortable but isn't really getting you where you want to go and putting you in somewhere that maybe is more uncomfortable, but equipping you with the tools right. and techniques and confidence to be in that uncomfortable space and still succeed. So right. uh, that was kind of an interesting way to, to distinguish the two ideas, but, but anyway, um, well, so that, that's a, a tremendous offering that you talked about um, and, and what is, and so I went and watched the, the COVID coaches right. that you had talked about. You had sent me that link before we, we recorded and I went and checked that out and thought that that was a tremendous you know wealth of information but this thing you're talking about, where people can sign up for a live coaching session, um, you know, all around the world, what is the website for for I'm that?
1: www. o l i g y e. dot com okay slash covid coach me. Covid coach okay. me, and I, I'm actually I'm, I'll give you two because I want to change. I want to take COVID out because at some point that's going to have a negative connotation. So www. o l i G-Y-E dot com slash coach me. Okay. Just dropping the code right. out of right. there. Both, both will work, though. Both will work. And I, I got to say that, um, again, this is a tremendous opportunity to improve your life. And we take this very, very serious. And this came about because we know for a fact that the people who are on the front line, the doctors, the nurses, the delivery people, people working in the supermarkets, people working in the restaurants, people who can't take time off, who are scared that they're bringing things back into their household. And when they get back home, their families sort of want to stay away because they may be sick. So, so, so those are frontline workers. We're focusing on the backline, people who are in the house, trying to make sure that they have all the support they need as well. So, I mean, we know for a fact that this is beneficial and we look forward to coaching more people and helping them to improve their lives.
0: Yeah. No, well, I will definitely, you said this runs through the end of, of June. At, is at the right? very least, the end of June. Uh, right now,
1: we're okay. trying to maintain it for as long as um, the, the, the need is there. The challenge we have is, um, is, is making sure that we're spreading the word, spreading the word, spreading the word. So the more we can promote it, the longer it will stay in effect.
0: Cool. Well, I will make sure and, and promote it. Um, I mean, I'll be happy to do it, as obviously, as part of this episode, but even outside of that for the rest of the month, I'll, Thank you. Uh, I'll, I'll make sure and share and promote it because that's, it's usually valuable, and I think that people – it's something that people don't understand and that people think, oh, that's for other kinds of people, not for me, right. though, and and it's just not the case. It's It, it literally has value for everyone. So yep. uh, that's pretty awesome. Hey,
1: Walker, let me add this. Um, excuse my French here. Yeah. Thank you for having the balls to be open for this sort of conversation because it's it's not every day where you see a – uh, a Caucasian or a non-person of color or a white guy who's open to having this sort of direct conversation about some of the racial issues in the U.S. Um, so I want to thank you for the platform because I think our conversation here was very authentic. Um, you didn't you yeah. didn't tell me to stay away from this topic or that topic, and being able to share your thoughts and my my thoughts in a very calm, open form is is wonderful because believe it or not, it's not that often when we're able to have this conversation without people butting heads and trying to prove their points and say, yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but, so thank you very much.
0: Yeah. I can't appreciate you enough for your time uh, and your, your candor as well. Um, I agree. I think it was a, a very open conversation and, uh, and one that hopefully people can listen to and, and, and maybe, you know, recreate in their own lives because it, it, it's so easy to, to demonize people, And, and not that there's not a lot of demons out there, but if you can actually get with people and have conversations, you can understand that, that people aren't motivated purely by evil all the time. Again, there are, there are some, um, but not everyone. Um, and, and there's gotta be a way out of, out of all of this. I mean, (laughs) neither you or I had any concrete, (laughs) hundred percent answer, but at least we're trying, you know what I mean? At least we're trying. And at least we're... I would rather us say, you know what, I don't know for sure, but we should keep thinking right. about it rather than come up with some bullshit answer that, that doesn't really work and doesn't mean anything. Right. You know what right. I mean? So um, well, coach Colin Thompson, thank you so much for, for coming on the show today um, and joining us all the way from Shanghai. You're very generous with your time. Um, I will make sure and have the links um, to your, your videos and to the new coaching sessions um, in the, the show notes um anything else that you wanted to touch on while we're still here let me give you my 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 website link and you can navigate to my other platforms here
1: www.oligye.com you can find my links to uh, facebook instagram twitter uh uh, linkedin you can you can find all all my links there go go over there uh check it out and just to the listeners i I just want to say that these are some amazing times we're in we are in the time of COVID. We're in the time of George Floyd. That, that that sort of thing. Use this time. Use this time to get better and to improve. Again, when we look back on this a year, a year from now, we want to look at what, what did we actually learn? What did we what was our mission? What was our purpose during this time? So try to find a purpose. Try not to get sucked up into the negative rhetoric of, of, of being scared. Try to really make sure that you are growing during this time. Thank you.
2: In his hands have changed fast. Another old of times have go Ghost towns buried On dirt and glass. A windows broken, stories untold. A child, memories drift in the wind. Over signs dying in the grass. Fathers and lifelong friends become layers of the mountains past. Our castles came crashing down. Stone by stone they fell to the ground. brick and mortar eaten by her. Families fled to the open plains. A and handsome, dirt and stone. And under the sun, a turning gray.
0: folks. Well, that's going to do it for the show today. Thank you so much again to coach Colin Thompson for stopping by and having that conversation with us. Thank you again, as always, to Misha Zarens for providing the music. And of course, thank you listener for listening to the episode. I invite you also to check out my other podcast, Pick Up Your Sticks. Pick Up Your Sticks is a podcast about why gaming matters. Uh, So instead of just talking about news reviews and current events in gaming, we really try and talk about the emotional connection that we've got with it and why it's important to us. So if you enjoy long form conversations like you get on The Walk Show, and you also happen to enjoy video games, I definitely recommend you check out Pick Up Your Sticks. I think it'll be right up your alley. Pick Up Your Sticks is available anywhere podcasts are found. As always, stay up. Have a good week.